This month on the UMBC Observatory podcast, Jessica tells us about the Cassini space probe's observations of Saturn's moons, Katie Ann keeps us up to date with the latest space news, and Roy tells us what to look for in the June sky. Hello, I'm Jessica Harriman, and I'm here with your monthly missions segment. Last month, we discussed Cassini and its amazing legacy on Saturn. This month, we will continue to discuss Cassini, but focus more on the other aspects of its mission, such as its research on Saturn's moons. Before Cassini investigated Titan, little was known about this Mercury-sized moon of Saturn. Its atmosphere is cloudy and green in hue, thus it was hard to see through it from Earth. Cassini revolutionized our understanding of Titan as it was able to not only investigate its atmosphere, but also peer down towards its surface to see what lay beyond the thick, nitrogen-rich clouds. Cassini eventually completed 100 flybys of Titan, sending European Space Agency's Hudgens probe to land on the mysterious alien world, the first landing on a surface in the outer solar system. From these flybys, we have learned a lot, including that Titan has seasons, it has deserts and oceans, and that it has an unusual atmosphere. Titan is the only other known body in our solar system to have Earth-like cycles of liquid flowing over its surface in a season-like pattern. Cassini was able to catch glimpses of its transitions from fall to winter at Titan's South Pole. Cassini was also able to image deserts much like Earth's on Titan and oceans both above ground and underground that are filled with liquid water and ammonia. Finally, Cassini was able to examine Titan's atmosphere in more depth, and it found that it was composed mostly of nitrogen, along with hydrogen, cyanide, and methane. In addition to studying Titan, Cassini also investigated one of Saturn's other moons, Enclitus. Enclitus has long been regarded as the brightest moon of Saturn, and for reasons that were poorly understood, Cassini gave us a much better understanding of the moon, showing us that the surface is covered in ice that originates from vents connected to a global subsurface saltwater ocean that might host hydrothermal vents. It is an active moon that hides a global ocean of liquid, salty water beneath its crust. What's more, jets of icy particles from that ocean, laced with a brew of water and simple organic chemicals, gush out into space continuously from this fascinating ocean world. The material shoots out at about 800 miles per hour and forms a plume that extends hundreds of miles into space. Some of the material falls back onto the moon and some escapes to form Saturn's vast E-ring. Over time, scientists also determined that the cracked terrain stretching across the active south pole of this moon is in constant motion, stretching in some places and buggling in others as cracks pinch and pull from gravitational forces. It is possible that it is heated by a tidal mechanism similar to Jupiter's moon Io. Cassini was a monumental mission that radically changed how we view the outer planets. Cassini helped us redefine how we interpret life on other planets and helped us understand the conditions behind the formation of life. Information from Cassini will continue to give us newer insights on Saturn, its moons, and our solar system at large for years to come. Thank you for listening to this month's mission segment. I'll see you next month with another mission. Hello everyone, my name is Katie Ann and I will be talking to you about current events. First, let's talk about the lunar eclipse that occurred this year. The Super Flower Blood Moon, which has quite a name, is going to be the only total lunar eclipse to occur this year. 
This eclipse was visible in the Pacific, in Hawaii, parts of Alaska, the Pacific Islands, Australia, and New Zealand. Because this eclipse went over their international date line, it's written down as occurring in two different days. Unlike solar eclipses, lunar eclipses are visible for the entire night that they occur. And with a lunar eclipse, this means that a solar eclipse will either occur soon or occurred before the lunar eclipse. This time, we will be able to see a solar eclipse nicknamed the Ring of Fire solar eclipse. This is because it's not a total solar lunar eclipse, but it will be a new moon that will be blocking the path of the sun as it rises over the eastern shore of the United States and parts of Canada, Greenland, and the Arctic. Because of the new moon, the moon will not be able to fully block out the sun, which creates what's called a ring of fire. This kind of eclipse is incredibly rare, so make sure you wake up early to get your cameras ready. This eclipse will occur at sunrise, and viewers in the DC Baltimore area can wake up to see it at 5.42 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time. The sun and the moon will rise together, the moon blocking out the light of the sun as they continue to climb in the sky. The moon is predicted to block out about 80% of the sun's light during the eclipse in the DC Baltimore area, so get your cameras ready. If you're in the narrow path where you'll be able to see the ring of fire, such as parts of northern Canada, Greenland, and the Arctic, the ring of fire stage will last for 3 minutes and 51 seconds. Remember to wear your solar eclipse glasses. Remember those from 2017? While watching this event in order to protect your eyes. You need to wear special solar eclipse glasses in order to make sure that your eyes are properly protected from the harmful radiation of the sun. Next is our update on the International Space Station. On June 1st, space debris hit the Canada arm on the International Space Station, damaging some of the insulation on the robotic arm. The arm, however, is still operational and can perform tasks as needed. Two Russian cosmonauts finished a seven-hour-long spacewalk as they prepare for the arrival of a new Russian module that's going to be sent up soon. But out of all of this International Space Station news, what is probably the most interesting is that NASA will be sending up squid into space. That's right, NASA will be sending more than 100 baby squid and thousands of aquatic microorganisms to the International Space Station via the SpaceX Falcon 9 rocket. Scientists are hoping that the experiments will tell them more about how spaceflight and microgravity environments affect living organisms. Additionally, scientists want to see if the environment can create any beneficial interactions between the microorganisms and the squid as they explore this new environment. Want to keep up with current events in space? Make sure you follow us on our social media platforms at UMBC Observatory on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. My name is Roy, and I'm here to introduce the final segment of our June 2021 podcast. For the next few minutes, I'll provide a description of the nighttime sky as seen from Baltimore. I like to think of this as current events in the sky for the month of June. Spoilers! From Baltimore, the highlight of this month is the summer solstice on June 21. But first, a bit about the moon. From elsewhere on the planet, the moon will be taking up positions relative to the Earth and the Sun that generate a pair of eclipses. In late May, there was a lunar eclipse, and in early June, there is an annular solar eclipse. Neither will be visible from Baltimore, but they're interesting to note nonetheless. The solar system isn't perfect, as much as our Western compatriots of antiquity would have liked us to believe. The orbit of the Earth around the Sun and the orbit of the Moon around the Earth are not aligned. However, every so often, 
portions of these orbital motions align and produce eclipses such as the ones we were just talking about. The cycle of eclipses, both lunar and solar, comprise a huge work of early astronomical and mathematical study. The so-called blood moons and nighttime during the day reasonably concerned our ancestors, so they tried very hard to understand them and eventually developed the underpinnings of astronomy, physics, and portions of modern mathematics. Like I said before, the lunar eclipse in late May wasn't visible to us here in Baltimore, but the June 10th annular eclipse will actually generate a partial eclipse that might be visible from Baltimore directly after sunrise. I don't want to get any hopes up, since this event will be visible only through special gear and through the early morning haze on June the 10th. And by special gear, I mean those special eclipse glasses some of you may have back from that August 2017 eclipse. Only these, or similarly certified instruments, constitute a safe way to gaze in the direction of the sun. Indirect methods, such as pinhole cameras and the like, will be rendered sort of useless, considering that the maximum partial eclipse will be taking place when the sun and moon are only a few degrees above the horizon. As a challenge to all of you, I haven't directly discussed what annular means in this context. Brownie points to the first listener to email us their understanding of this word with regard to solar eclipses. As we move closer and closer to the summer solstice, our days get longer and nights get shorter. This solstice represents a critical point in the duration of our daily darkness, so we will actually begin and end the month of June with only eight hours of twilight and dark skies. Again, this means that we'll have less time to actually enjoy the starry skies. In Baltimore, this point is usually moot, given that the June humidity is so high that crisp, clear skies are hard to come by. However, for those determined few, here is your guide to catching some of the brighter stars still visible as we inch into astronomical summer. Immediately after sunset, Antares in the constellation Scorpio and Spica in the constellation Virgo will be visible nearly due south and fairly close to the horizon. Spica will be the bluish star and Antares the red one. Ant Aries is actually a sort of code from ancient Greece meaning not Aries or not Mars. You may remember that Scorpio is a zodiac constellation, and so the planet Mars will frequently travel through the constellation, making it easy to confuse the two red dots to the uninitiated observer. Beginning the month of June this year, Mars will be in Cancer or Gemini more toward the west and soon to set as the skies darken. Back to the south and higher in the sky is the familiar Arcturus in the constellation Buodes. Joining Buodes at nearly straight up is Ursa Major, with the familiar shape of the Big Dipper, whose handle is arcing to Arcturus. At about as high as Arcturus, or the Big Dipper, is Vega toward the east. Vega is one of the brightest stars in the sky, so spotting it should be easy after sunset. I wouldn't be surprised if this is the first star you see each night, so be sure to look to the east for any early evening wish-granting. As the night progresses, Vega will be joined by two other fairly bright stars forming an isosceles triangle. These other two stars will be Altair in Aquila the Eagle toward the south, and Deneb in Cygnus the Swan, slightly more northward than Vega. I'd expect these stars to be visible on clear nights around midnight in early June, and then earlier and earlier as we near July. Vega is situated right around 40 degrees off of due north, so Vega will travel almost directly overhead as the night progresses. Vega will make this transit around 2.30 in early June, 
and 1.30 in early July. About this late at night, we are joined again by Saturn and Jupiter rising in the east and only a few degrees apart from one another. Keep your eyes on these planets too, as they'll be rising earlier and earlier with each passing day. As always, try to avoid the full moon when seeking the dimmer stars around these brighter ones I've mentioned. This month, the full moon will be on June 24, and it will be super. Recall that this only means that the full moon phase occurs within a few days of the moon's monthly closest approach to Earth, and will therefore be slightly larger and slightly brighter in the nighttime sky. If you're looking for help finding these stars or shapes in the sky, please see our show notes at observatory.umbc.edu. Otherwise, thanks for listening to me connect the dots up there and look for our next podcast in early July. If you've got any comments or questions, or just want to let us know that you're listening, please feel free to send an email our way to observatory at umbc.edu. 